I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, What's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Bill, that was epic. I, I, <laughs> I couldn't be happier with that one. We, we got to learn about one of the coolest programs in the whole country and with, with such a cool guy, Bob Budd. Uh, that was just so much fun. You know, Aaron, anytime it's a guest, like from a place I'm just not that familiar with, I enter these things a little bit nervous and three minutes into this, I'm like, okay, I'm going to love this episode. I'm going to love this conversation. And it was that way all the way through. It was. And so we just talked to Bob Budd. He is the director of the Wyoming Wildlife and Natural Resources Trust Fund, which is this just outrageously cool thing that happens in Wyoming. It's a It's a fund that the state legislature puts money into. It uses the interest to do habitat projects and has done, has touched everywhere across Wyoming. Awesome things, wetlands, forests, rangelands, you know, all kinds of projects have benefited hunters and anglers, river restoration. And there's the Wyoming legislature just convened on Monday and they are considering a $75 million investment uh, this year that would almost fully fully fund the trust fund um, to to the tune of two hundred million dollars. It's it's currently I think what do you say one one twenty or something, and then right. that would allow with the way they use the interest to you know dole out about nine some million dollars a year, and each one of those dollars is matched at five point six times. So you know doing the easy math, we're talking you know fifty million dollars worth of impact across the landscape in Wyoming every year. So just really incredible. And as we know, conservation isn't cheap, um, it, but it has to be funded and done. And, and they do a fabulous job of it, obviously. But hey, for people in other places, aside from hearing their story and how they got this done and how they're continuing to get it done and grow it, listening to Bob's attitude about working with different groups of people, some some of whom a lot of times you think are would be counter to each other or start off button heads and and, uh, man he just he has such a way of cutting the chase and bringing people together it's phenomenal to to listen to it so i'd encourage people to even just with that in mind pay attention to what he says yeah there's so many cool lessons in collaboration and civility and treating one another right and getting things done together and and making things work and now i think we could have talked to bob for hours and hours he's he, he's a busy guy that short session in the state legislature he's down there every day we also got to mention camo at the capitol which is happening in wyoming next week that uh, the federation is proud of and and helping work you know in multiple different states so just a really cool episode uh, you know with my wyoming history too i couldn't i couldn't help but just be giddy about some of the cool places he talked about <laughs> Oh, I'm sure, man. That's where you grew up. That's, that's, I think of some of the, the rivers that I knew as a child that are in worse shape than they ever were. And, and 
to know a place where you had some childhood memories is now this pristine 30 inch trout. Good grief, man. <laughs> yeah. I remember that river being just really rough. It, it was in the middle of Casper and it had been, you know, mistreated for many years and what a cool resource now. But, uh, Anyway, we'll let folks go. We just wanted to give you a little bit of excitement there for for this episode. Jump on, listen to it, listen to Bob, enjoy it. It's fun. And then uh, if you're in Wyoming, or even if you're not, call those legislatures, legislators. Tell them to tell them to fund this baby. It's it's worth it. It's a it's a national treasure. We're they're doing federal lands, private lands, helping really amazing wildlife herds, fish, all kinds of things. So enjoy the episode, folks. Since 1936, the National Wildlife Federation has worked with hunters and anglers to pass the most important conservation laws in American history and to protect our sporting traditions. This podcast explores our history, our values, and the work we do to safeguard the fish and wildlife that fuel our passions. We are NWF Outdoors. Welcome, folks, to the NWF Outdoors podcast. This is your host, Aaron Kindle. I'm here with my regular co-host, Bill Cooksey. What's happening, buddy? Oh, it's all good here in Tennessee. I just don't know if it's spring, summer, or fall right now. The weather's crazy. Yeah, we're experiencing a little bit of that in Colorado. Some pretty big swings, snowstorm, then 50 degrees, and back and forth, and snow melting and going. But uh, it's almost that good time. The the blue wing dollar. Be coming off in the river here in the next month or so and i'll be back to fishing season so i'm looking forward to it uh today we have a really cool guest i think i've i've known him a, a little bit here and there over the handful of years that i've been working in wyoming and and bob i should also say uh we both were were raised partly in fremont county i i grew up in riverton partly and uh, so we have some shared history there, but I want to introduce Bob Budd today. And he's, uh, he's the guy who's uh, running. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good sign. He's got a duck call uh, for his phone since he hasn't muted it, but I'll introduce him as he's dealing with that. Uh, Bob Budd, he's a fifth generation Wyomingite and he's, uh, he's got some degrees in animal science and agriculture and range management. And he's worked kind of all over the state doing multiple different things. The Wyoming Stock Growers Association. He's managed ranches for the Nature Conservancy. And now he's the director of the Wyoming Wildlife and Natural Resources Trust. And that's what we're uh, really here to talk about in a lot of ways. So welcome, Bob, and thanks for coming. Oh, great to be with you. We're Our weather's a little the same. We don't know what it is. Yesterday it was 50 degrees and today it's snowing. So bring it on. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep, life in the life in the West for us. For us, Bill, if you don't know, we we watch the storms come and then we watch them go, and it's sunny in between and not a lot of cloudy and hanging around in the middle. So we like that. Gotcha. Yeah, we've had some twenty degree nights in the last four or five days, and today it's almost seventy. So, well, we're in the doldrums of very few hunting seasons and. <laughs> Fishing hasn't quite kicked up yet, so it's a good time to have this conversation because, as folks may know, most uh, state legislatures who have a session, that have a session, are in session right now. And Wyoming's just kicked off here on Monday, and we wanted to bring Bob in to talk about a unique opportunity this year. Uh, Wyoming is in a budget session. It's only a 20-day session, so... A lot happens fast. I've heard, Bob, and you can verify this. We're looking at maybe something like 500 bills in in about 20 days. Um, so you can verify that, but that's a heck of a lot going on. But uh, yeah, They've thinned them out pretty well. They, they have to have a two-thirds vote to be introduced unless they're a budget-related, and they've been knocking them in the head pretty hard. So we'll probably end up with around 200 to deal with. Uh, Hopefully, okay. maybe even less than that, but it's still a lot to do in 20 days, as you can imagine. Sure. There's a couple we're watching there. Obviously, there's some sage grouse stuff. There's there's this bill, a couple of other ones. But Bob, what we usually what we usually do is is ask folks just what they've been doing outside lately to start things off, because this is the NWF Outdoors podcast. We like talking about the outdoors. So we'll start it out with you. What, what you've been up to lately? You getting outside at all? Well, a little bit here and there, but there's not a lot going on. Like you said, the hunting seasons are over, and uh, and I'm not an ice fisherman, so 
if you get out, mainly it's walking, hiking, just getting out in the country. It's been kind of a weird year for us this year. Normally, we've got a place at Glendo, Wyoming, and normally we watch birds all day long because we've got thousands of them. And this year, it's pretty slim. So we're trying to figure out whether they decided they were really going to get winter and, and boogied south or whether it was nice enough early that they, they didn't show up. But uh, but that's kind of been it uh, lately. It, and, and again, like you say, with the weather the way it is, uh, one day you can go out and hike in a t-shirt and shorts, and the next day you're huddled in front of the fire because it's 20 below zero. So kind of an oddball year. Yeah, we know it well. Well, I'm glad you're getting out at least some in the middle of all this uh, busy stuff. Bill, what about you? Are you getting you finding any time outside lately? Yeah, I mean, uh, Saturday was the last youth waterfowl hunt in Tennessee, so we got a couple of kids out. Um, they had a ball. Two kids shot four boxes of shells and went home with five ducks. So uh, the shooting wasn't stellar, but that's kind of what you expect on youth hunts. And they had a ball, got all our stuff picked up, and now it's on to scouting turkeys and trying to catch a few crappie. Well, that sounds pretty good. I like that. Uh, I haven't been doing too much outside myself either. It's just that time of year, right? I did wet my line in the in the river the other day for the first time in four or five months, but caught one fish. wasn't very productive, but better than sitting at home. I'll tell you that. I always like it no matter what. So anyway. And it's not a skunk. Not a skunk. <laughs> it's so. not a skunk. Anyway, let's uh, let's jump into this. And, and Bob, I thought we'd start a little bit with just – you know, your your personal background's pretty interesting. You've got everything from managing ranches to range management. I didn't mention to folks that, you know, you've been president of the International Society for Range Management, the Wyoming chapter of the Wildlife Society. You know, long history of, of lots of different professional things and, and personal background. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came up to this moment leading the Wyoming Wildlife and Natural Resources Trust Fund? Well, sure. I, I think I'm a prototypical Wyoming kid, you know, grew up in the 60s and 70s and uh, every opportunity you had, you were out doing something. Uh, used to fish for ling in the winter on Ocean Lake and and we'd uh, rock hound and, and scout for hunting in, in all over the state. Uh, family settled the town of Big Piney in 1879. So that's always been kind of home country for me and, and you know, just automatically tied to the outdoors. In fact, uh, have a new book coming out this year called Otter's Dance that's about uh, those experiences and, and the interface between particularly agriculture and wildlife. And uh, those were my two passions. And I Excellent. worked for the Wyoming Stock Growers for 15 years and obviously promoting conservation and, and ranching and open space. And then I uh, had an opportunity to go manage a ranch in Lander for the Nature Conservancy and raise my kids there, which was phenomenal. Uh, Red Canyon, it's a, a landmark in Wyoming and uh, lived there for 12 years, did that. Um, and then this job came up and uh, it was created, the trust was created 19, or in 2005. And uh, it, it was such a crossover with all the things I'd done. I mean, I'd been an, a guide, I'd worked in the oil field, I'd been uh, a ranch hand and, and managed a ranch, worked for a a nonprofit, uh, all those things just kind of came together, and and I applied for the job and was selected, and and have been there since. So uh, I, I like I say, I think I'm a pretty typical Wyoming or Western kid. Grew up with a, a deep, deep reverence for the outdoors and for for the people who take care of it, and and always wanted to be a part of that. And and now, wow, you know, with the trust, we can be a part of that in in such a such a big way and such an important way that. Uh, it's just kind of a, a dream job. Thanks for that. That's pretty awesome. I have been at that ranch too, uh, that you were, that you, you took care of there. I was, uh, did the Ruckelshaus Institute, uh, collaborative natural resource decision-making, you know, I can't remember exactly how you called it negotiation yeah. program. It was a year long program. We did some of our, our courses there at that ranch. That's a really awesome place. So, yeah. uh, Anyway, thank, thanks for the stewardship there. Let's jump into the, the Natural Resource Trust Fund. You know, I, I think it's unique. Not a lot of states have something like this. If you could just kind of start us out, like how it got started, what it's supposed to do, 
you know, what, what you do on a day-to-day basis. And then we'll get into, you know, the unique opportunity we're looking at this year. You bet. So it, the idea came up in the middle 1980s and, and what, what was proposed then was to create a fund of $250 million that the investment return could be used for uh, habitat and other things. The, the, the fatal flaw at that time was that it was housed totally within the wildlife agency. And uh, as anybody who's been in the West or anywhere knows, there that that created suspicion and aroused uh, uh, ire in some circles. And they were like, "We're not going to give that there." But then Governor Dave Friedenthal was elected, and he brought the idea back up in in '04 and '05, and said, "You know, let's let's figure out how to do this." And of course, we've learned to work together a lot better out here than we did 30 years ago and got got a bunch of groups together and said how would you build it and the biggest change was that it ha- i have a board of nine members it's an independent board they're completely apolitical uh i've got three of the nine have been on since the trust was created in 05 and, and then we have people rotate in we've got uh age distribution from the late 20s early 30s to uh late 70s uh it's people who have passion uh, uh, they come out of all the judicial districts, and that's who makes the decisions. And so it's open to anybody to apply for projects. Uh, individuals can't, but uh, conservation districts, big partner. We work with the Game and Fish Department. We work with all the federal agencies. We work with a ton of NGOs uh, and, you know, right down to local governments. We've got projects in this year with a, a kind of a collaborative out of northeast Wyoming to do healthy forest work. Uh, we've got another big project, the town of Green River, to rebuild the river through there. Um, so it, it, it goes across the board. But uh, it, it the probably the biggest thing people ask, what's the best project you ever had? And I, I, the list is too long. We've done over a thousand of them in, in that time period. Um, but the biggest thing I think that the trust has done is it's brought people from disparate backgrounds together with a common purpose, whether it's the encampment river uh, or it's a, a rangeland situation for mule deer or sage grouse, uh, highway crossings for mule deer down at Bags. It, it, it galvanizes communities to find common ground and do things that, that are beneficial to all. And, and that's been the most gratifying piece of this is looking at people that have sat in the cab of my truck and told me what a no good SOB one other, what the other one was. And then you go down the road with the other one. And, <laughs> and now we're all three sitting in the cab and they're arguing over who's going to get the gate. So it, it's been awesome. phenomenal in that regard. And I think it's, it's led to success with other things in our state. If you look at what we've done with sage grouse, if you look at the way we've handled migration corridors, it's been done the same way because now that's how we do things. So that's probably, I think the, the biggest thing about the wildlife and natural resource trust is its ability to bring people together and find common ground. That's excellent. Bob, I I was fascinated by this when Aaron first brought it up because I'm from a state where our wildlife resources agency depends totally on on hunters and fishermen uh, for dollars. And, you know, the local organizations are all scrambling, trying to find ways to fund work as as is our resources agency. So I'd love to hear more about your structure and how this works, because it it just seems like a phenomenal program that could be beneficial so many places. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Bill, it's not a whole lot different than the Tennessee Wildlife Resource Foundation. Um, You know, I said when I was out there last spring, I had a good chance to visit with Johnny and and how they do things. The difference is that we are a government entity. um, And as such, have had access to, when times were good in the oil patch and in the coal mines, uh, we had some excess money. They put that into the trust, uh, slowly built it up. The legislature has been very, very good about adding money for things that were critical. They've done, they've added money the last few years for migration, mule deer migration primarily, but also for invasive species management and that sort of thing. Um, the The difference between us and some other that that are similar is that we have the trust account, so we have the ability to generate revenue and aren't totally dependent on the budget each year. Um, it, obviously, that's marginal, or, or it, 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 we're hoping to make it a whole lot better uh, coming up here in the next month or so. But um, 
that's that's an advantage we have. And the other is that that we're really habitat focused. Uh, we do a little bit of research. We do a few other things, but it it better be habitat based, and it better be something that's beneficial to water quality, wildlife, air quality, land quality. You know that that component. And so we don't we don't drift over into city parks and education programs. The work we do is on the ground. You can go out and stand on it, look at it, see what it did. You can see a river that's been restored and, and see where you've got habitat for fish. You can see a wetland that's built. One of my favorites is out in the middle of the desert. And now it's getting up to where it's almost 1,200 acres of wetland and, and associated habitat. Hundreds of bird species, phenomenal. In the fall and the spring, the sky is just black with all these different birds that People tell you, well, they don't exist in Wyoming. And I drive them over to Bags and go, there they are right there. So, uh, but I think that habitat focus is really, really important. That's awesome, Bob. Tell, tell us, so, you know, do, do you guys actively seek these projects? Do folks come to you? Do, is it the fish and game? You know, walk us through, you know, kind of the cradle part of the, the, the process where you get these prog- projects and then you take them to completion. Yeah. So when we started out, we, we kind of had that mentality I talked about that we were habitat focused, results focused. Um, and we, we had a, we had to go out. Everybody of course was excited about the trust being created. So they were aware that it was there. Um, our biggest job early on was getting out to them and, and saying, all right, you got a wish list, you know, whether you're the wildlife Federation or you're the game and fish department or the BLM office in Kemmer, there are things you'd like to do. We created an application form that's pretty user friendly um, and and said, tell us what you got. So off the bat, we got, I think, 88 projects that were submitted. Um, about half of those were pretty good and the others were not. Um, the, the success rate the first year was around 50%, whether it got funded or not. We're now running about 85% of what we get in is funded. And that's, you know, 15 years of doing it, your, your clientele understands what you're looking for and you understand them. So we, we both actively seek projects, but we don't have to. Uh, just before we got on uh, today, I got two applications in. Those aren't due till the end of the month. And they're, they're coming in. One of them is a wetland and the other one is a, a prescribed burn for, uh, to create aspen habitat and enhance mule deer habitat. Um, and so, you know, you kind of drop, we have about 10 areas that we primarily fund. Uh, one of those is miscellaneous, so you, but the others are all pretty straightforward. And, and in the world of conservation, one thing that you'll find is that there are kind of peaks and valleys and cyclic natures to, the, to what people are excited about. Uh, early on, we had lots and lots of wetland projects. It's easy, it's low-hanging fruit, uh, it's proven. We had a ton of those come in. Well, now that's a steady. We get probably five or six of those each funding cycle. Um, and, and what's really hot now is river restoration. Um, early on, it was wetlands and prescribed fire and aspen treatments. Still do all that, but you know, you'll have peaks and valleys. In the middle of uh, probably about 2013, somewhere in there with the sage grouse stuff, conservation easements were a big deal. We did a ton of them in in sage-grouse core areas and in prime habitat. So you have that ebb and flow all the time, but underneath that you have a steady, constant uh, a lift that's going on on the landscape that that is really, really cool. Tell me more about the conservation easements when you say you did them. Does that mean you did some projects on easements or you actually you know, executed an agreement for an easement? We funded them. What we do, the beauty okay. of this program is we got partners who do all the really hard work and we pay for it. And, uh, and they <laughs> can't do good. their hard work without our money. And we, we can't do, we can't fund it without their hard work. So, you know, we've got groups like Trout Unlimited there. They've got a constant, they know exactly what rivers they're working on and which phases. We've got complete watershed plans that people come in with, you know, about the second time you get a project on the same river or creek, you go, okay, what are we going to do here, guys? Then they come in with the full picture. And so, you know, we've done projects there in the where our contribution is $2 million, $3, 4000000 million. 
uh, over five years or so, and you and you take a river and you add back the historic flood time wetlands, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it, it it's it's phenomenal. You've touched on this a little bit several times, but it seems like you work with a whole lot of, or y'all work with a whole lot of different folks, a lot of different agencies, organizations, and groups. Uh, how many applicants do y'all normally get, and from how many different uh, groups, orgs, and agencies do y'all work with in a given year? So we've had applications to date from right at 150 different organizations, um, and we get it depends on the year. Last year was down a little bit, but you had COVID, you know, and all that going on. Um, normally, we'll get about 60 to 80 applications a year. We have two funding periods, spring and fall, and uh, we pride ourselves on being able to crank through those in about three months and get that, get those contracts written and, and the projects stood up and going. Um, and the beauty of doing it twice a year, Bill, is that if somebody comes in with something and it isn't quite there, maybe they don't have all their permits in place or they don't have their matching funds or, or they're missing a, a key partner landowner, we can go back to them and say, hey, we'll come out with you in the interim and we'll help get this to where it's fundable. We're trying to get to yes. We're trying to get the project done on the ground as opposed to just taking in paper applications and saying yes, no, maybe. I mean, we want to fund the program. Um, and that's one of the things that I think is unique about us. Every project that we do, we look at on the ground. We go out every single application that, that is advanced, two of us usually, and sometimes more, uh, either two board members, myself and a board member, will go out. We look at the project. It's a grilling. It's a, it's a grind for the, the applicant because we're going through their budget, their permitting, their design. I mean, they're, you're looking at 90% designs from their engineers. You're looking at all of that stuff, evaluating it, and then coming back and deciding whether or not you're going to fund it, partially fund it, or not fund it. But but the idea is always, if they've got a germ of an idea and they've got that local buy-in and they've got commitment, then we want to get them to where they're, they're doing the project. Now, that 150 agencies or 150 applicants is scratching the surface because if you take an application, uh, a rangeland enhancement, maybe it's a, a conifer removal or a juniper treatment or something. On top of that, then you'll have 30 or 40 landowners. So you got one applicant that's a conservation district and coupled up with that, you've got 30 landowners and you've got the local DU chapter and you've got, you know, so it expands out from that. But we've actually had applications from right at 150 different entities. I love this program, Bob. Like, I, I couldn't love it too much more. Uh, and just even what you just said, right? It's it's kind of like a compounding effect. It's like oh, yeah. you get you get one person engaged, and then they spread it out. And the other thing it does it makes all these cool networks and connections, and just incites more collaboration. It's really beautiful in that way. And and I tell people all the time, uh, money's kind of like you know, the stuff that draws flies. And, and so we actually are able to leverage every dollar we spend right now 5.6 times. So for every dollar the state of Wyoming puts into a project, we're getting $5.60 additionally from other sources. And that's groups like your own. That's, wow. uh, yeah. I mean, that's school kids. It's uh, the the NGOs you always think of, but it's other entities as well. And and that, that just lets our money go further and get more done. Howdy, listeners. For more great content, check out NWF Outdoors social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Connect with us. We want to hear from you. Send us your ideas for podcast guests and questions in the comments. And for even more excellent content, here's a message from our partner podcast. Hey everyone, this is Marsha Brownlee from Artemis Sports Women. We know you love awesome stories about hunting, fishing, and conservation. So head on over to the Artemis Podcast. You'll meet adventurous, accomplished women who are redefining conservation through their lives in the field and on the water. Filled with humor, audacity, empathy, and intelligence, Artemis brings you new voices and introduces you to women from all walks of the sporting community. Find Artemis wherever you get your podcasts. I got to do one other thing too, because you mentioned Trout Unlimited and it reminded me of a couple people that are there. I used to work for Trout Unlimited and I know Kathy Purvis 
was one of the original people. She was working at Wyoming Wildlife Federation at the time. She's at Trout Unlimited now. And she was instrumental in helping get this program started um, as, as, as Wyoming Wildlife Federation has been and, and been in on this. Maybe you can talk a little bit about WWF's history here. Yeah, you bet. And I can talk about Kathy's history, too. We went to college together. We've been friends for a long time. She used to be my dancing partner at the bar called Snorts in Laramie. So, and she <laughs> was better. a pioneer. Pioneer, great, great dancer, by the way, but uh, <laughs> really did a lot uh, and helped get the trust going, helped get TU up, stood up in Wyoming. Um, yeah, the Federation has has really evolved in Wyoming in, in a way that I'm very, very happy to see. And you got to remember, I started my career as a lobbyist for the cattlemen and and uh, WWF and and what WSGA were not on the same page very damned often. And if we were, it was kind of scary. Um, that's very different now. And I think that's because, because people have become less focused on litigation and less focused on controversy. I'm not, I'm excluding Congress from this conversation, talking about <laughs> real people out here in yeah. the West, but we're, we're looking at habitat. We're looking at what's the greater good. It's not only what's good for deer, it's what good for the landowner that's hosting the deer during those critical seasons of the year. And it's not just what's good for that rancher and his cows, it's what's good for the elk or the moose that live on his place. And and people in Wyoming see that. And I think that that evolution of WWF has been phenomenal. I have a tremendous working relationship with them now and, you know, with Joy and uh, Jesse and all the folks out here. Um, very supportive and 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 like I say, focused on the right things, focused on commonalities, focused on things that that we can get done that that make things better. And and yeah, there are going to be those places where where people have a uh, disagreement. Not everybody is going to be on the same page. Let those fall where they may, but don't lose sight of the commonality we have because probably eighty percent of it's common, and the twenty is not worth losing the eighty over. I'm loving this. I mean, I I want to find a reason for Vanishing Paradise now to do something in Wyoming, you know, so that I can work with you because I'd love y'all, it. Y'all seem like just such an awesome funder to work with um, to get things done. Uh, obviously, sometimes that that's not always a perfect scenario, but uh, it sounds awesome. So, how and this is probably pretty obvious to you, but for somebody from Tennessee. How do, has your program helped hunters specifically? Well, if you look at it, uh, we've actually done a couple of things where we've helped uh, do contracts that allowed for access, um, which I think is really the absolute best way to do it. You got a willing landowner who says, hey, I'm going to have some impacts. I'm willing to do it for this amount per year, allow people to access public lands are their own. It's their choice. It's not forced on them. Um, you know, it's a free market deal. We did that over in Albany County, and it's been incredibly successful to get some elk harvested where they were over objective and to get hunters out where they could access, particularly for people who are hunting uh, cows for meat, um, but but others as well. Um, I think the biggest thing that we do for, for hunters and anglers is if you take a river that's marginally functional because it's been, you know, uh, over time it's been engineered or, or we've cut off the oxbows or we've lost the juvenile fish rearing areas or we've lost uh, calving grounds for elk or we've lost the crucial winter for bighorn sheep, what we really are trying to figure it to do is make that habitat as optimal as we can. And if you've got good habitat, your, your populations are going to do better. And, and looking at mule deer migration as an example, if we've got landowners who can understand what to do to make that those stopover areas better to fatten those deer going into winter, if we've got people who understand that there are bottlenecks in areas that we don't want to have activity in for a short period of time, that benefits because if those deer go into the winter fatter, they have healthier fawns, they come back in the spring and they're, and they're able to get up and go and follow the green line up. Those are the kind of things that we can do. And beyond that, you know, we've got a tremendous wildlife agency in Wyoming. They manage the deer, they manage the elk, they manage the fish and do a good job of it. We just make sure they've got a place to go out and make a living. 
And I, I think that's that's the marriage that that I love in, in with a range background. I mean, all my work is in wildlife habitat, um, but I'm not a population biologist. If you came and asked me to tell you how populations of wildlife work, hell, I'll tell you how to rebuild something else first that I don't know anything about. That's not my deal. I just provide the groceries. We find the, the habitat. And and you look at what happens on, on, for instance, the river through Casper, Wyoming, is a blue ribbon trout fishery. They're catching 30-inch rainbows in there, in town. And that used to be refrigerators, blocks of concrete, whatever you could throw in the river. But we went back in and we put $2 million into that. They rebuilt that river. They got the, the uh, stream to function like it's supposed to. You got deep pools that'll hold those fish when it's hot in the summer. You got, you know, that that river's functioning like it should. That, the obvious benefit to anglers and on that is you got more fish, they're healthier, they're fatter, and they're wild fish. You're not having to stock it. They're there. They're propagating. So that's how I think it, it directly affects hunters and fishermen. Bob, I, I remember those days in Casper in the 80s when I was a kid. That was a, a rough-looking river at times. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> Let, let's give you an opportunity right before we really get into this unique opportunity we have now to, to tell us a, just a unique story about this, because I can imagine over the years you've seen, and I mean, you're already telling us about a lot of it. You've seen and, and witnessed some really cool stories, wildlife wise, you know, everybody loves a good story. And I, I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit there, but I, I, I can imagine you have so many, it's not going to be that hard. And then we'll jump into the, to our unique opportunity. Well, it is hard because I have so many and I, I just think about um, what a, what a phenomenal state we, I live in. And, and I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I had a board member early on who, uh, Born and raised in California, a ballerina, um, fabulous board member, uh, but t- town girl all the way. And uh, and so we took off one day to do a, a bunch of site visits. And and I got to Rollins. We're driving down the interstate and talking and, and you know, getting to know each other a little bit because it was pretty early on. And I cut off and, and went south and hit this dirt road. And she said, where are we going? And I said, well, we're going to go over to Bags. And she said, well, don't you just go down to Creston Junction and down the highway? And I said, no, we're not going that way. And we started up over the top. And as soon as we crested the hill, here's all these deer, does and fawns, and then just bounding out of the sagebrush. And her eyes are getting pretty big. We get up on top and there's a herd of elk that comes across the road. You've got sage chickens. You've got uh, uh, all kinds of species, songbirds and everything just bursting out dropped down into bags, look at these projects and, and then looped back over Battle Mountain, came back through Saratoga. We weren't on a main road the entire day. We got back and I dropped her off and she said, I had no idea this state was this state. And, and I had another one who, uh, I, he, he was curious about Shirley Basin. And I said, well, why don't you do that site visit with me? It, it's his favorite place in the whole world. And, and it's the off the beaten path the, my favorite stories involve people and them seeing things. And, you know, a fisherman, you're going out to a rancher and having him come up and say, ah, oh, hey, yeah, those are my cows. That's the horses here. I got to go show you this pond because I got a bunch of green wing teal on there. And they got little, they got, you know, chicks or ducklings. And, and that magic, it's like, it's like little kids in school and, and you feel it, you know, that that's the stuff. And um, as far as the, you know, the, the biological part, that's kind of the, that, that's the easy part. I mean, you go burn something and you see the aspens come back in, you see cricks start running that haven't run in 40 years. And you're standing there, the landowner says, I've never seen water in that creek and I've lived here 60 years. Yeah, that's, that's compelling. But, but it's the human dynamic, the, the, the everybody all in together thing, you know, standing in the middle of a freezing ass cold creek, uh, all of you, because you're so excited about seeing what the fish are doing, it, it you know, it, it's just that's it, that's it. Yeah, this is amazing because I'm sitting here watching Aaron, and we're both grinning and shaking our heads, listening to how. I mean, you're so sincere and you're so excited about all this work, and, and that's always a real treat. Obviously, oh, yeah. I think we all. I mean, whenever we get around that, it, it helps all of us. Um, y'all have done a ton of work 
despite being partially funded all this time, and now I understand there's a possibility of getting fully funded. Tell us about that and, and how things are looking. Yeah, well, I'm a money guy. You're never fully funded, right? But in 2005, when uh, when they passed the law, the law said that the the trust the fund should have a minimum of 200 million dollars. And right now we're at 115. Uh, our governor and our appropriations committee uh, in our budget right now have added another 75 million to go into the corpus of the trust. Um, it's phenomenal. It uh, it it it's. Uh, it's incredibly humbling and, and we hope we can hold that. Uh, you know, right now that would get us at, at 190, um, 190 million out of the 200 to get there. That's a big deal. That'll help us generate on order of probably seven to 10 million a year, which is where we'd like to be. We think that's about what we can handle. That's about the match that we can generate. Um, and so, that's where we are today. Uh, had great hearings with all of them. Governor Gordon's been a tremendous supporter. He actually served on my board for two years before he came became treasurer and had to resign. And uh, and he and I have been friends for a long time and through ranching circles and and wildlife stuff. But uh, he put it in as a priority and and that went through the appropriations process. Um, so that's that's very very humbling, like I say, but it's also inspiring that the people in this state value their outdoors. They value wildlife. They value open space and, and they're willing to commit to that. Um, and we're, we're hoping to come through the session with that 75 intact and, and just go on to more, bigger, better things. So Bob, unpack that a little bit more because I think uh, there's some stuff there that maybe folks are going, Hmm, what does that mean exactly? But one of the unique things about the trust is that you utilize the interest from this fund to continue to, you know, perpetually do these projects. Can you talk about a little bit more how that works? Yeah. So the fund is a, a essentially what's called an inviolate fund. It means it can't be used for other purposes. Its total purpose is to fund habitat improvement projects and natural resource enhancement projects. And so uh, we, a few years ago, there was a constitutional amendment to allow some of these funds to be invested in, in higher earning, higher yielding uh, stocks, bonds, and not just absolute safe, you know, 2% stuff. Um, we are in that pool. We were kind of the poster child for why to do that. Uh, there's a bill in this year to allow Game and Fish to do it with their reserves as well. Um, and so we generate interest or yield on on those on those funds, that money is what we use to fund projects. And um, you know, we'll earn this year. Looks like we're going to earn right at eight and a half million. Um, and market's been pretty crazy good. So that would be money that's available to do projects with. And then you take that, and remember, it's going to get quintupled. Um, so you know that that eight million becomes uh, forty million. And, and that's, that's money out on the ground. Uh, that's, you know, that's where, where I think the big bang for the buck comes in, but the 75 would get us up to 190. Uh, if you, if you can do the math yourself, if you're earning 5%, you know, that's, what is that? 9 million a year. Um, that's, that's pretty decent. Uh, and, and that will go a long way. Uh, one of the things that, that it'll allow us to do too is, is be a little bit uh, less concerned and not concerned maybe, but less dependent on matching funds. So the board has never been constrained by that. I mean, we fund things at 80%. We fund them at 10%. It depends a lot on what they are and what the resources people have are. Uh, every project is evaluated on its own merits. And, and, and that's a beautiful thing about the way that my board operates. They're, they're sharp, they're good. They do this and they get it. Um, and so, you know, it just, it, it'll allow us to expand and maybe as an example where right now we've got a, a project that we're in our large project bill that goes to the legislature uh, to add $400,000 in Northeast Wyoming on our end for, for healthy forest initiative and to take uh, undergrowth out from underneath the Ponderosa Pine Forest and get it restored to what it should be. And that'll benefit mule deer, whitetail, turkey, a ton of, of neotropicals that, that use the Black Hills. Um, 
if we if we have the ability to do that at 400, if we're double, we may be able to do double the acres, and and we can double the match. We can just expand what we do. Uh, a lot of what we do is landscape based, and we don't like uh, random acts of conservation. I mean that that's great, but you know if you're one landowner out of ten and you're doing something and the other nine aren't with you, that that isn't the same. And when you can go look at an entire watershed, like the one I grew up in and say, you know what, there's a conservation easement on every ranch in that valley, every ranch, and it's going to stay intact, an entire watershed. And then you're starting to add to that by restoring the river and you're doing range improvements and you're doing aspen regeneration and all that. That's, that's the magic. And oh man, that, that's, that's what we want to do. So, you know, more money, more acres, more, more projects, more miles of stream. That's what it comes down to. Man, we need your passion everywhere. <laughs> that's just, I, I love it. It's just, it's just kind of flowing out of you, right? I, you just love this stuff so much. You love the landscapes. I just, I really can't get enough of that, Bob. I could sit here and talk to you for a while just hearing well, that. I, I could do it all day. I and mean, the best part, you, you know, and people just finally they quit going with me anymore because I said get in the pickup we'll go for a drive and after about five or six days they say I need to call my wife or I need to tell my husband where I'm at but it, you know it's a huge state and you know that yeah. Aaron I mean it and it's and it's so different the Black Hills are completely different than the Bighorns and they're completely different than the Absoricas and and they all need different things but uh, you can get I, I get in the truck I did it with a a senator one time, he was the chairman of the travel committee, and he said, I need to see what you do. And we were both going to a meeting in Lander, and I said, well, get in. You can ride with me. We drove. It's a four-hour drive. We never were out of sight of a project we'd done. We pulled off the road, and I'd say, well, we did that prescribed fire. We put that water development in. We fixed that fence so antelope can get under it, and we did that for 300 miles, and it was nonstop. He got out of the truck and looked at somebody and said, "Geez." If you're going to ride with him, make sure he's got plenty of water because he won't shut up. But it, it it's that cool. It's just freaking awesome. Well, I want to go ride with you. We've never oh, ridden together. I want I'm to go ride it. with I'm you. And you keep talking about places that I, I know and I grew up around and I love. So I, I love it even more because I know you're taking care of places that are near and dear to me. Uh, let's, let's ask one more question on this, on this fund before maybe we try to wrap up here pretty soon. But, you know, mechanically what has to happen now as far as okay so it's sitting the governor's budget had it in there it's in the legislature what do they do now and 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 perhaps maybe you can add too is there things that you know sportsmen and women other wildlife advocates can be telling their legislature legislators or thinking about right now well it has to pass the house and the senate um you know the number needs to be the same and hopefully that will happen uh, and then it needs to be signed by the governor. So uh, that's where we're at. Uh, it, pretty simple legislation. Now, you say simple, you know, we're on day three of the legislature and they're already mad at each other. So you, you kind of hope to avoid that. But um, that's all. all we're, we just need to get it through this through this budget session. Um, and then, you know, the wheels turn, the money gets moved. We, we, we go on about what we do. Um, the, the biggest thing I think that sportsmen can do and people who care about the outdoors is just let their legislator know that they support the funding of the trust. And, and that's, that's really all it comes down to. We, we don't want to beat them up over it. We don't want to uh, badger them. I mean, there's going to be people who vote no. We know that. Um, there are people who don't like what we do. We know that. They, they aren't the majority. Um, but I think just letting your legislator know, hey, this is a good thing and, and we'd like you to fund it. That's, that's all they need to do. Good stuff. I, I have to ask again, and we touched on Tennessee earlier, uh, with, with all you've learned over the years, what could other states learn from y'all? I think, I think other states are, are in a very similar place to us. The, the one thing that, that we have advantage that we have is a low number of people. And you, you know, you, you, we're not a big enough state and big enough communities that you can burn your bridges right and left because pretty soon there's no bridges left. And so 
Civility, I think that's a big, big thing. Um, I love, you know, Bill, when I was in Tennessee, I loved it. I liked the people. They they reminded me of Wyoming people. And 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 that's true when I was in Texas. It's true when I was in New Mexico. I worked in, you know, all these states. When it gets right down to it and you're out there kicking the dirt and, and you know, you're all thinking the same. And we, we need to get to where that's what we do in the morning and that's what we do at night is go, you know, this was a great day. It snowed like a son of a bitch, but out in the middle of it, here comes a bunch of birds I hadn't seen, or or I saw, you know, one my big thrill when I came down there turkey hunting that there where there was no turkeys, the only place in Tennessee there weren't any turkeys. But I saw cardinals all over the place. You know, we don't get those here. I was so cool. I just sat there and the, the guide said, What are you doing? And I said, There's cardinals over there in that tree. He said, There's cardinals everywhere. And I said, Well, not where I'm from, just leave me alone a minute. Um, that, that magic, that's what it is. I mean, look in the eyes of a child and say, what does it, what, what's the wonder there? Because if you lose the wonder, what's left, you know, that, that's, that's what it's all about. And, um, being outdoors, being somewhere where you hear things that, that you don't hear in town and, you know, being able to go, oh yeah, well, you know, geese are flying higher this morning. I wonder what's going on. You know, you just musing about things you'll never know that, that's what I think we've got is we have the ability to, to find a common beauty in, in the outdoors. And I think we all need to realize that. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm worried about losing that. I'm worried about people wanting it so much that they eat it all up and we got, you know, 20 acres here and 20 acres there. And then pretty soon we don't have anything left. And, um, but, but yeah, I think we have a, I think what people can learn from us is what we learn from them is that there's a commonality and we really need to start our day and end our day asking ourselves, what do I have in common with everybody else? And, and here, clean air, clean water, wildlife, open space. I think that's something we all value. Bob, I, I just can't get enough, man. I really, I really can't. Your your passion for it, your your collaborative spirit, the way you use wildlife and these places to connect people. I mean, that's really what it's all about in, in conservation. You know, I think despite you saying many states do this, I think there's still a lot to be learned because uh, I think Wyoming Wyoming does it in a special way that uh, I think you all should be really proud of. And and clearly, you're you're an excellent emissary and ambassador for that because uh, we need that passion in our in our world of conservation oh we do and and we are proud of that in wyoming as as you know i mean the things we've done and we talk about it uh our sage grouse plan we started that long before we needed to and and look at you know how that went and i mean that at the time we did that i remember governor friedenthal we went in and brian lance and i and said we think we ought to put a group together that has oil and gas and mining and ranching and conservation groups and all the federal agencies and the state agencies and sort this out and come up with a plan. And he said, you guys have lost your minds, if it, but if it doesn't work, I'm firing you. And if it does, I'm taking credit. So he's still taking credit, but you know, black footed ferrets, the recovery of that species, things we're doing, we've done tons of work with trumpeter swans and the migration stuff. You, how do you not get together on things like that? How do you, and, and the reality is you do. You know, oil and gas industry has done tremendous things for wildlife because we were able to sit down and say, hey, here's wildlife 101. This is what they need. And they were able to sit down and say, yeah, well, here's oil and gas 101. This is what we need. And and when you do that, then you find ways to make it work. Um, if you just do it in the courtroom or you're do, trying to do it on, on uh, Facebook or something like that, you're talking past each other. You're sitting at the same table drinking the same pitcher of beer, you find a lot of common ground. You're, you're, you're speaking the gospel, man. I love it. Uh, I should mention too, the, we have a, an event Wyoming Wildlife Federation does next week, camo at yeah. the Capitol. And this is, this is, you know, kind of exactly what we're talking about here, right? Take your passion, bring it to legislators, tell them what you care about. Um, lots of the sportsman's organizations will be there. Uh, you know, you get the opportunity to go and, and learn how to, talk with legislators and hear about some of the issues and then head on over to the Capitol and start talking to them. These, these folks are, you know, public servants. They're there to, to serve the people and, and to help move things forward. Like you're talking about Bob and, you know, 
we know Wyomingites care about wildlife. And so let's go advocate for that. Um, Camo at the Capitol. It's a, it's a great event every year and they have a nice reception at the end of the day. And I've, I've been uh, fortunate enough to take part in that every year since they've done it and, and really enjoy that opportunity again. Uh, Jesse and Joy and all the folks at WWF do a tremendous job pulling all that together. And they've got a, a team of them that do it. And uh, it, it is, it's a great event. It's a great day. And I think it's a, it's a really positive thing for, for conservation and for, for groups like WWF and, and, and others. Good. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll toot my own horn a little bit and I'm just proud of it. Right. I, I was the seed for that in several different States. Now we have it in New Mexico and Arizona and Idaho. So you have a few different places and we're still expanding out and really trying to help, you know, folks get to their state legislatures and, when I see what Wyoming has done, I'm, I'm really proud because it's, you know, it's growing every year. More folks are engaged and we get to hear from folks like you. So, Bob, I'll leave you with the chance to say anything else you want to do. I know you've got a hectic schedule in this this budget session and you're you're just ramming and jamming. And so we'll let you go. But before we do, any any other wise words you want to leave us with? Well, I don't know about any wise words. They, I, <laughs> I said I've got, got a book coming out this year and their original subtitle was one, one Wyoming rancher's journey to wisdom and, and, and something. And I said, take that wisdom off of there. Cause the minute you claim you're wise, you're dumber than hell. So, um, but I, I would say I just, I, in, in a career that spanned over 40 years, you know, the, the difference in how we do things today and how we did then. And, and I know you can both relate to this a little bit is, it used to just be, let's go see who can beat the other one down. And now it's, how do we build the other one up? It is different and it is so much more effective. And I, I just wish that that people that, that haven't seen that could feel that at times, because I think it would change how we address almost everything we do in this country. And, and, and it's a good way to do it. Awesome. Don't believe all the doom and gloom, right? There's, there's excellent things like this happening and it's, it's real and it's doing really cool stuff. There's great stuff going on everywhere. Well, Bob, I'm honored and, and just thank you. Uh, you're for the work you're doing, for spending time with us and just any, any, this is just as, as good as it gets at this program. Let's get this baby funded. If you make it over to Camelot, the Capitol next, next week, make sure you tell your legislators, what you think about this. And Bill, I'll give you a chance to sign off. I know I've been talking a lot. Bob and I are Wyoming Wyoming guys, so we're kind of back and forth here. But uh, sign off there, buddy. Hey, man, I, I've got to say, this has probably so far been my favorite podcast we've done together. I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to all of this because it's so upbeat and so positive and i mean i i've only i haven't been to wyoming in 25 years but i'm buying the book as soon as it comes out bob so make sure and let us know when when it's published and, and when it you know when it's available will do Great bob, to we're, see happy, you, Bill. we're happy to put the the a link if you've got it yet to your book in our show notes and we'll put one to the wyoming wildlife and natural resources trust fund and I'll see you up at Camelot, the Capitol next week. Yeah, yeah, and I'll uh, I'll let you know we're still in the book's still in production. I I'm, uh, should be out later this year, so we'll keep you posted on that. But uh, I appreciate it, and and Bill, I hope to see you down there in in April. Let me know. I'll come see you. All right, man. All right, gents. Thanks, Bob. Take you care. Bet. Have a great day, site. guys. See you. For more great content, check out NWF Outdoors social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Connect with us. We want to hear from you. Send us your ideas for podcast guests and questions in the comments. We are NWF Outdoors. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. 
they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.